I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 5 tonight. Galatians chapter 5. We'll look tonight at verses 16 through 26. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. When you have located that, please stand for the reading of God's Word. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you do not do the things that you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in step with the Spirit. Let us not become those with vain glory, challenging one another, envying one another. Please be seated. I want you to think with me for just a minute about the difference between reformation and transformation. They do have one thing in common. Reformation and transformation both result in changed behavior. But being reformed and being transformed is not the same thing. You see, to be reformed is to have your conduct improved or amended. To be transformed is to be changed in your condition, nature, or character. In other words, when you're talking about reformation, the change in your behavior is simply the result of changing your habits or your lifestyle. But with transformation, the change in your behavior is a result of a change in your very nature. Let me say it another way. With reformation, the change is merely outward behavior. With transformation, it's a change of who you are on the inside that causes the change in outward behavior. Reformation makes a better you. Transformation makes a different you, if that makes sense. And as you know, the reformation of your behavior is often temporary, amen? You've known people who maybe had a bad habit and they quit for a long time, but then they went right back. They reformed their behavior for a period of time, but it didn't last. See, transformation's not like that because it's not just a, a change of outward behavior. It's a change in who you are. So transformation is permanent. Now let me say this to you. 
Christ did not die on the cross so you could be reformed. He died so you could be transformed. He didn't die so you could become better. He died to make you different. You can reform yourself. But you cannot transform yourself. To be truly transformed in who you are takes a power and an influence that is outside of yourself. It takes the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. Before we dive into the verses in Galatians, I want to give you the context here. The church at Galatia has been infiltrated by men who were teaching it's not enough to have faith in Jesus. If you want to be saved, they said, you also have to keep the law of Moses. Obey the Sabbath, be circumcised, keep the food laws and all these things. Paul writes the book of Galatians to correct this doctrinal error. He makes it very clear in this book. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Therefore, believers are free from the burden of the law. We are no longer in a place where we have to earn our favor with God by keeping the rules. But there's a danger. Some people might take the freedom we have in Christ to mean they can live any way they want to. To say we're free from the law, Paul knows some people will assume that means we can live any which way. Well, in Galatians 5, verse 13, Paul speaks to that issue, and this is what he says there. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You have two options for those who have come to Christ. We are free from the law. He says... You can use the freedom you, has, you have as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, you can do what your sinful human nature wants you to do. Or you can do what God wants you to do. In this case, through love, serve one another. That's the context for what I just read in Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Here's the thing. Paul's saying to these believers, I don't want you to obey the desires of your sinful nature. I want you to obey the leading of the Spirit of God, which is going to cause you to serve one another in love. And so in the verses we're looking at tonight, Paul is answering this question. How do believers stop doing what the flesh wants and start doing what God wants, what the Spirit wants? That's the question. This gets at the heart of what it means to be transformed. See, here's the thing. You are transformed when you stop obeying your sinful human nature and you start obeying God. That's what transformation looks like. You leave your life of sin and you begin to live a life that's pleasing to God. That is what transformation looks like. 
And what we learn in the verses we're studying tonight is the key player in this whole process is the Holy Spirit of God. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit takes residence in your life. And He transforms you on the inside, makes you new on the inside. We call it being regenerated, born again. But the transformation process isn't truly complete until the Spirit's transforming work on the inside begins to show up on the outside. You understand? The Spirit does a work inside of you to mold you and shape you and change you. But that transformation really is seen when what happens on the inside of you shows up on the outside. When the change on the inside of you affects change in your behavior. That's transformation. These verses tell us how that happens. Here's what these verses teach us. Here's the message. The Holy Spirit transforms you as you submit to His controlling influence. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit transforms you as you submit to His controlling influence. I want to show you three things to help you understand and apply the Word of God for us in these verses. Here's the first thing I want to show you. How transformation happens. In verses 16 through 18, Paul tells us how transformation happens. He refers all through these verses to the Spirit and to the flesh. So let's make sure we understand what it is we're talking about. Spirit is the Holy Spirit that lives in you as a result of the new birth, being born again. When you were born again through faith in Jesus, He sent His Holy Spirit to reside in you, be with you and in you. Flesh is your sinful human nature. Okay, think of it this way. Flesh is what you are by your natural birth. Spirit is what you are by the new birth. Now, the verse 16 contains a command followed by a promise. The command is walk by the Spirit. Some versions say walk in the Spirit. The Spirit of God here is being pictured as a controlling influence in the believer's life. Let me give you a verse. Ephesians 5.18 Do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, you know how alcohol exerts a controlling influence on someone. When you get enough of it in you, it begins to influence you and control you. Paul is comparing that with the Spirit of God. He says, I don't want you to be controlled by alcohol, but I want you to be under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. So in Galatians 5.16, when Paul says, walk by the Spirit, he's telling you, allow your whole life to be controlled by, regulated by the Holy Spirit. We can say it another way. Let your conduct be directed by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God given to you when you were born again exerts a controlling influence on you 
To walk by the Spirit is to submit to that controlling influence. You with me? When he says walk by the Spirit, he's telling you to submit to the Spirit's controlling influence in your life. And it's present tense. Walk by the Spirit. Keep walking by the Spirit. How do you walk? One step at a time. How do you walk by the Spirit? The same way, one step at a time. Moment by moment. Paul is saying, moment by moment, submit to the Spirit of God's controlling influence in your life. In other words, listen to the Spirit's voice. Follow His lead. Obey His promptings. Go where He says to go. Do what He says to do. Now, that's the command, and it's followed by a promise. The promise is you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, promise, excuse me, command, and promise you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Here, here's what that means. When you do the things the Holy Spirit wants you to do, you will not do the things that your sinful nature wants to do. Beginning in verse 17, Paul explains how that works. You see the word for, beginning of verse 17? Paul's giving us the reason verse 16 is true. Paul's just said, if you'll submit to the controlling influence of the Spirit, you will not obey the desires of the flesh. Now he's going to tell us why. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another. Okay, here's the idea. The desires of your sinful human nature are opposed to the desires of the Spirit of God that lives in you. The desires of the Spirit of God that lives in you are opposed to the desires of your sinful nature. Simple. Your old man, the sinful human nature, wants to act sinfully. The Spirit of God wants you to act righteously, godly. Your flesh wants you to disobey God. The Spirit wants you to obey God. They're not just different, they're opposite. What the Spirit of God wants you to do is opposite of what your old flesh wants you to do. What the Holy Spirit wants you to do is the opposite of what your sinful human nature wants you to do. What's the result? Look at verse 17. So that you do not do the things that you want. When you want to do good, your old sinful nature is opposing you. When you want to sin, the Spirit of God in you is opposing you. It's like Romans chapter 7, if you've read that, where Paul talks about the conflict within himself between the flesh and the Spirit. He knows what is good. He wants to do good in his heart, but his sinful human nature wants him to sin. There's that battle, and this is what he's picturing in Galatians 3, excuse me, 5, 17. Now think about what he's saying. If you will walk by the Spirit, if you will submit to the influence and control of the Spirit, you will not obey the flesh. Now, I've already said these two desires are contrary to one another, the Spirit and the flesh. So how do you avoid doing what the flesh wants you to do? Paul says it's very simple. Do what the Spirit wants you to do. Now just think a minute. We've already said they're opposite of each other. 
If you do what your sinful human nature wants to do, you're going to do the opposite of what the Spirit of God wants you to do. But if you do what the Spirit of God wants you to do, you're going to do the opposite of what your sinful nature wants to do. Does that make sense? So how do you keep from doing what your sinful nature wants to do? Simple. Submit to the controlling influence of the Spirit of God. That's how you say no to the desire of your flesh. It's by saying yes to the control of the Spirit. Some of you will relate to what I'm fixing to tell you. When I was a teenager, my friends wanted me to go somewhere that I knew my daddy would never let me go. We'd had to talk about it before, and I knew he wasn't up for it. My friends wanted me to lie and say, just tell him we're going to the movies. So I had the voice of my friends in this ear and the voice of my father in this ear. Well, for once in my life, I actually listened to my father. Looking back, I can't believe I did. But the, the, the thing is, there's those two voices. See, you have the same thing. You have your human nature. And you have the Spirit of God. And those are two voices. When somebody crosses you, somebody wrongs you, somebody hurts you, your sinful human nature wants you to lash out when they cut you off in traffic. Right? The Spirit of God in you is telling you be patient. Be kind. Your flesh wants to cuss a blue streak and honk at them and run them off in a ditch. Right? You have those two, those two voices in your head. You have those two influences both want to control you your flesh wants to control you the spirit wants to control you and the way transformation happens listen this is not complicated the way transformation happens is when you make the choice to say yes to the spirit of God and you do what the spirit of God says to do instead of doing what the flesh wants to do that's when transformation happens that's how it happens you listen to the voice of the Spirit. Now, the next thing I want to show you is what transformation looks like. In verses 19 through 23, we have two lists. The first one is the deeds of the flesh. The second one is the fruit of the Spirit. And you look at these two lists and you see how they contrast with one another. And when you see that contrast... You get a clear picture of what transformation looks like. What do we mean when we talk about being transformed? Well, looking at these two lists is going to make it clear what we mean by a transformed life. So if you're living according to the desires of your sinful nature, what does that look like? Verses 19 through 21 gives us a list. The first three things in the list refer to sins in the sexual realm. Sexual immorality is the first. That simply refers to sex outside biblical marriage. It's a very general, very broad term. The next word is impurity. It means uncleanness. Paul uses it here in a sexual nature of things that are unclean sexually. Sensuality, the next word. This is sexual excess, throwing off all restraints, nothing off limits, no hold bars, anything you want. Sexual unrestraint. Now the next two items in the list 
are related to worship. The first one is idolatry. Idolatry is worshiping anything other than the one true God, whatever it might be. Sorcery is actually the Greek word pharmakia, and it's where we get our English word pharmacy. This referred originally to the use of drugs in witchcraft. Drugs were used to induce these different states and it was part of the process of witchcraft. The words come to be used simply to refer to any kind of sorcery or witchcraft. The next eight items in the list all refer to what we might call sins in society. Just the kind of sins that you know, happen between people. The first is enmities. Enmities is hostile feelings or actions toward other people. Strife. Strife is being quarrelsome. Instead of being a peacemaker, it's being a troublemaker. Jealousy is a desire to have what others have. Here you might call it envy. Outbursts of anger. This is when you have those hostile feelings and you have a passionate outburst releasing, acting on your hostile feelings. Selfish ambition. You know what it means to be selfish, but selfish ambition is being self-seeking with a disregard for other people. In other words, I'm going to go after what I want, I'm going to get what I want, and I don't care about anybody else. I don't care who I hurt. It's, it's seeking your, your own desires with a disregard for other people. Dissensions. That means causing divisions, being divisive. Factions. Factions is forming cliques. It's exhibiting what we would call a party spirit. The us against them spirit. Think Democrats, Republicans. Factions is when you, you create that kind of atmosphere where you're pitting people against each other. Envy. This refers to being bitter over the prosperity of somebody else. In other words, when somebody else succeeds where I don't succeed, I'm not happy for them. It ticks me off. I'm bitter. The next two things in the list refer to sins regarding substance abuse. Drunkenness is the abuse of alcohol or drugs, either one. Anything that would alter your mental state and ability to control yourself. Carousing. Wild, drunken parties. This is the Greek word where we get the English word orgy. It, it just simply means wild parties. Now this is not an exhaustive list. The things he lists here are not all of the sins of the flesh. You see in verse 21, he says, and things like these. So this is just a partial list. Now what does he want us to know about this list? Look at it in verse 21. I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God for Paul is something that lies in the future. It is the inheritance of the people of God in the age to come, the resurrection age. We would call it life in the new heaven and new earth. Heaven. The final state. Paul says those who practice these sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that tell us? This is a list 
that describes the behavior of unbelievers. People who are not filled with the Spirit of God. People who are not Christian. Now, if you want to know what transformation looks like, you think about that list. And you compare it with this next list in verses 22 and 23 that we're going to look at. The fruit of the Spirit. The first thing I want to call your attention to is it's the fruit of the Spirit. You remember it, it calls the, the other list the deeds of the flesh. Or the works of the flesh. It doesn't call it the fruit of the flesh. The deeds of the flesh. So why is it deeds in one list but it's fruit in another? Well, the first list is dead works. The second list is living fruit. Why is that important? Paul calls this second list fruit because, think about this, fruit grows out of life. Fruit grows out of life. Let me, let me help you understand what I mean. I don't know if you've ever been to Louisville, Kentucky, but if you have, one of the neat trips to go on is to go through the Louisville Slugger bat factory and museum where they make the Louisville Slugger, they make bats for the Major League Baseball. It's a neat little trip. You can go to a factory where they make baseball bats. Does anybody know of a factory where they make strawberries? Anybody? Why? Because fruit only grows out of life. It, it only is produced by something that's living, a plant. You can't manufacture strawberries in a factory. It takes life to produce fruit. Here's why that's so important. Because the things you see in the first list, they're all produced by your dead, sinful human nature. This second list is produced by the living Spirit of God in you. Dead works versus living fruit. Now let's look at them individually. Love. This is referring to not the emotional feeling, but sacrificial acts of love. Agape. The best definition I've heard is self-sacrifice in service to others for the glory of God. Joy. This is the outward manifestation of an inward happiness rooted in God. Joy. An inward happiness rooted in God. Peace. This peace is maintaining right relationships with God and others. It's not, this is not really the feeling of peace, but it's the maintaining of right relationships. Being at peace with others. Maintaining peace with others. Patience. This is enduring or forbearing when you're provoked. Let me say it this way. Not easily offended. No snowflakes. Right? We're not easily offended. That's patience. Kindness is a favorable disposition toward other people. And the next word, goodness, is related to it. It's specific acts of kindness. So these two, kindness and goodness, kind of go together. When you're kind in this term, it means you have a favorable disposition toward other people. 
Goodness is when you do specific things that shows that kindness. Faithfulness. This is trustworthiness, honesty, truthfulness, reliability in dealings with others. In other words, it's being faithful in the way you deal with other people. Gentleness. This is having genuine humility and consideration for other people. In other words, someone as gentle as someone who doesn't push other people around. Self-control. This is mastery over your desires. This word was used of taming animals. It's taming your sinful desires. Self-control. Now look at verse 23, the last part of the verse. Against such things there is no law. Paul is quick to point out to us that these things cannot be produced by the law of God. You can't legislate the fruit of the Spirit. You can't pass a law that says, be patient. I mean, you can pass it, but there's no way you can force people to do it. You understand? These kind of things cannot be legislated. And when they're in place, there is no law needed. In other words, when you're being controlled by the Spirit so that your life is producing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, when the Spirit of God's in control and you're living this way, you don't need a written law. You don't need anybody to tell you how to act. You're going to act right when you're living under the control of the Spirit and doing these things. Now, you want, to, you want to see what transformation looks like? You think about that first list. Pursuing the desires of your sinful nature. Your, your pleasure, your desires are corrupted. Your worship is corrupted. Your relationships with other people are corrupted. Now look at this second list. Your desires are purified. Your relationships with other people are 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 um, restored your relationship with God is restored you're no longer living out of control life and envy and against other people but you're living in control and gentle and faithful and kind look it's clear the transformation that takes place when you go from one list to the other list and this transformation what I need you to see is the result of submitting to the influence of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, if you walk by the Spirit, if you'll submit to the influencing control of the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So when you, when you learn to live according to the desires of the Spirit, your life goes from list A, the deeds of the flesh, dead works, to list B, the fruit of the Spirit, living fruit. Now here's an important issue I, I need to raise. What if you still struggle with some of the deeds of the flesh? What if you look at that list in verses 19 to 21 and you say, you know, there's still one or two of them I kind of struggle with. I want you to listen to what John Calvin had to say about that. For who is there who does not labor under one or other of these sins? I reply, Paul does not threaten that there shall be excluded from the kingdom of God all who have sinned, but all who remain impenitent. 
The saints themselves are heavily burdened, but they return to the way. All the threatenings of God's judgment call us to repentance, for which pardon is always ready with God. In other words, we're not saying that when you're transformed by the Spirit, you never again struggle with any of these sins of the flesh. The difference is, for a Christian who's got the Spirit of God, God will bring you to a place of repentance. You won't be able to go on in sin without God bringing the discipline into your life, without God bringing you to a place of repentance. I need to move on. So we've seen how transformation happens by submitting to the controlling influence of the Spirit. We've seen what it looks like. And now let's talk about what transformation requires. Verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Some versions say have crucified. Literally, it's crucified. Simple past tense. It points to something that is a completed action in the past. Here's why that's important. He's talking about something that happened to you at conversion. When you came to Christ, when you were born again, you crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay, let me say again, he's talking about something that happened at the point of conversion. So here's the first requirement if you want to be transformed. You must be born again. You must be born again. There must be a conversion. It's when you are born again that that sinful human nature is nailed to the cross. Listen, here's what I want you to understand. Apart from the new birth, being born again, there will be no transformation. Let me help you understand what I mean when I talk about being born again. You've heard the phrase. Jesus coined the term back in John chapter 3 when he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. In chapter 3 of John verse 5, he tells us what it means to be born of water and the Spirit. To be born of water and the Spirit. One birth, not two. Not born of water and born of Spirit. But born of water and Spirit. Water signifies cleansing. Cleansed from sin. Spirit signifies the filling of the Spirit. So what is the new birth? What does it mean to be born again? It means when you come to faith in Jesus, you are cleansed of sin and filled with the Spirit of God. If you want to jot down Ezekiel 36, that's where the images come from. Cleansed of sin, filled with the Spirit. <coughs> now, without the new birth, you don't have the Spirit of God in you. And transformation is the work of the Spirit. So if you're not born again, you don't have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you can't be transformed. Listen, if you want to truly be transformed, you must be saved. You must be born again. Now let's go on and look at the second requirement for being transformed. Now he says here, you crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Does that mean we no longer have any sinful desires or passions? Obviously not. We all know that's not true. But I want you to think about this. Crucifixion is a long and lingering death. Let me read you what one Bible commentator said. 
Crucifixion produced death, not suddenly, but gradually. True Christians do not succeed in completely destroying the flesh while here below, but they have fixed it to the cross and they are determined to keep it there until it expires. The flesh is crucified. It is nailed to the cross. But it's not completely dead yet. Let me, let me read you a verse from Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, with Jesus, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Okay, did you catch that? The old me, the old nature, the old man was crucified so that sin might be done away with. Completed action. The old me was crucified. But five verses later, Paul says this in Romans 6, 11, and 12. Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Now follow this with me. He said, your old nature was crucified with Jesus. Then a few verses later, he says, consider yourself dead to sin. You are dead to sin, but you have to consider yourself dead to sin. He says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Now here's the question I want to ask you. Why would he say, don't let sin reign in your mortal body? Don't let sin have dominion in your life. Why would he say not to do that? Why is it necessary for him to say, don't let sin reign in your mortal body? If your old man's been crucified. Don't let sin control you. He says don't let sin control you. Why? Because it's still possible for you to let sin control you. Is your old man crucified? Yes. Can, he, can you still give in to those desires? And, and submit yourself to those? Yes, you can. Paul says don't. Christ has begun a work in you that ultimately will lead to the absolute removal of every sinful desire. The complete eradication of your sinful human nature. Right? Philippians 1.6 He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. But that work's not completed yet. You will be free of those sinful desires one day. I, I'm telling you, I can't wait for the first day I open my eyes and I, I, I don't have any more sinful desires. But until then, here's the second requirement to trans be transformed. You, you must kill sin. That's what Paul's telling us to do here. You must kill sin. You have to engage in the ongoing activity of killing sin, waging war against your sin. Here's a verse you need to jot down, Romans 8.13. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the practices of the body, you will live. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's what theologians and the Puritans called the mortification of the flesh. To mortify something is to kill it. To kill sin. Until we die, we have to engage in seeking to remove sin from our lives. If your eye offends you, gouge it out. If your 
hand offends you, cut it off. If your foot offends you, cut it off. Kill your sin. Wage war against it. Fight against it. Don't give in to it. You want to be transformed? You must be born again. You must kill sin. There's one more I want you to see. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in step with the Spirit. In other words, since the Spirit is the source of our life, we are spiritually alive because we have the Spirit. He said, since the Spirit gives you life, you should also submit to the direction of the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit. That is a military term, which means to march in step with. Christians here are being pictured as being led by the Spirit. This same word is used of herding cattle or of a shepherd leading his sheep. So picture Christ, our shepherd, our general, and we're in line behind him, following him. The Spirit of God is that general, is that shepherd leading us. One Bible commentator said it like this. It is a great mistake to suppose that our whole duty lies in passive submission to the Spirit's control, as if all we had to do was to surrender to His leading. On the contrary, we ourselves are to walk actively and purposefully in the right way. So in other words, when we say submit to the control of the Spirit, that's not passive. To walk by the Spirit means the Spirit is in you exerting His influence. But it's only when you obey his leading that your outward conduct is transformed. Do you understand? The Spirit of God can, inside of you can tell you to do this. But until you do that, you're no different outwardly. Are you with me? Here's the third requirement for transformation. You must obey the Spirit. To be transformed, you must be born again. You must kill sin. You must obey the Spirit. And the entire process is done in and by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Spirit of God in you influences you, leads you, guides you. And you're to obey that leading, that guiding. But you aren't left to obey in your own strength and in your own power. Not only does the Spirit lead you to obedience, listen, he empowers you to obey. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. One of my favorite passages. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul says God is inside of you by his spirit. He's working in you to cause you to desire what is right and to do what is right. Causing you to desire and enabling you to do it. So based on that, I tell you to work out your salvation. Because God is giving you the ability to work out your salvation and giving you the desire to. Here's where we started. The Holy Spirit transforms you as you submit to his controlling influence. Let me say it to you like this. Transformation requires cooperation. Transformation requires cooperation. You want to be transformed, you're going to have to cooperate with the Spirit of God in you that leads and guides and directs you. The Holy Spirit of God makes you new on the inside, 100% apart from any activity on your own. You had nothing to do with it. The Spirit of God regenerated you, made you new. And when you're born again, you begin to have new godly desires. Amen? 
But you still have to pursue those godly desires. You begin to have the Spirit of God nudge you toward obedience. You know what I mean? But you still have to obey those nudges. And as you seek to pursue those Spirit-led desires, as you seek to obey those nudges of the Spirit, He empowers you. Okay? The Spirit leads you. He draws you. He calls you. As you respond to that leading, as you respond to that drawing and that calling, then His power in you energizes you and enables you to be obedient. That's how transformation happens. That's how the Spirit of God, His transforming work on the inside, shows up on the outside. I want to give you an example. When you are born again, when you have the Spirit of God in you, He is going to call you to the Word and prayer. Oh, He will. If you have the Spirit of God in you, He's going to convict you and let you know you need to be praying. You need to be reading your Scripture, the Bible. You know what I'm talking about. He's going to remind you to be praying and be in the Word. Here's how it happens. Just because you have those desires, you have that leading of the Spirit to pray and read the Bible, that does not make you a man or woman of the Word and prayer. No, 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 no. How does it happen? How does the real transformation on the outside happen? The more you say yes to the Spirit's call in your life to read and study the Bible, the more you find He helps you to understand and apply and profit from the Bible. The more you respond to the Spirit's call to prayer, saying yes, and you do pray, the more you find He helps you to pray. Now, it doesn't happen instantly, but as you consistently say yes to the Spirit's call, you are being transformed. You are becoming a man of prayer and the Word. You with me? As you submit to the Spirit of God, as you continue to say yes, He is making you into that man or woman of prayer and the Word that you were not before. Transformation is the work of the Spirit, but you have to cooperate with the Spirit. So when the Spirit of God leads you to pray, pray. When the Spirit of God leads you to witness, witness. When the Spirit of God leads you to give, give. When the Spirit of God leads you to serve, serve. And I'm telling you, if you'll do that consistently, you're going to look back one day and find that you've been transformed into a praying, witnessing, giving, serving child of God. That's how it happens. The Spirit of God in you will give you those nudges to obey, those calls to obedience, those desires. But you have to say yes. And as you say yes, you're being transformed. Transformation requires cooperation. Let's pray.